Engaging Leader, episode 153, How to Find Your Authentic Voice, featuring Joshua Spodek. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action. Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers, to lead and influence others, whether as a workplace leader or as a thought leader. You need to develop your authentic voice. For example, let's say you're a CEO delivering a speech to your employees or a functional VP writing an email to your staff or a department head presenting recommendations to the C-suite. Whether you're speaking or writing, are you clear about who you are? Are you true to your values, passions, and personality? Are you representing the real you, what's actually going on in your own head? And do people understand and trust you? Are you effective not only in prepared communications, but when you speak off the cuff or extemporaneously? Now you might think, well, it's not rocket science. But if that were true, then why do so many leaders struggle with it and not quite have the impact they want, either because of flubs when they're put on the spot or people not trusting them, feeling like they have some kind of hidden agenda? (laughs) Maybe it really is rocket science. And so to help us get to the bottom of it, we decided to to talk to a real rocket scientist who became a leader. Joshua Spodek is an adjunct professor at NYU, a leadership coach and workshop leader for Columbia Business School, a columnist for Inc., and the founder of SpodekAcademy.com. His new book is Leadership Step-by-Step, Become the Person Others Follow. He holds five Ivy League degrees, including a Ph.D. in astrophysics, and an MBA from Columbia University. And he helped build an X-ray observational satellite for NASA. He has co-founded and led as CEO or COO several ventures, and he holds six patents. Josh, welcome to Engaging Leader. Hi there. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Now, before we dig into the topic of authentic voice, let's talk a bit about the broader scope of your new book, Leadership Step-by-Step. Uh, the gist of the book is, is I've picked up from it is that great leaders are not born with some kind of leadership gene. They develop the necessary skills and gain confidence through practice. Uh, tell us about the moment that you realized that you needed to write a book about practicing leadership skills rather than just explaining principles. Well, it's, I can't put an exact moment on it because a lot of it is 20 years in the making. You know, the first company that I started out of graduate school was my first exposure to being a leader. And that's when you start building experience. Uh, And then 10 years ago, when I took my first leadership classes at business school, business school is where I first saw that there were classes in leadership. I didn't think that you could learn any of this stuff. And in fact, that's what opened the door for me to seeing that there's a whole emotional side to life. Like up until then, to me, emotions were just and motivation and listening and empathy and compassion, stuff like that really didn't mean much to me. I have to say actually that about five years ago is when I first, it was a couple things happened. There was a, one big one was touring a school that a friend of mine founded that taught experiential project-based 
active learning from the ground up. And I found that the student, and this, by the way, was a high school in Philadelphia. And I w- he had someone, uh, some students give me a tour of the school. And I was talking to the students and I found that their leadership skills were very strong. And by this point, I had an MBA. So I knew a lot of MBAs with, who had taken leadership courses, including myself. And I knew that my professors. And these students were on par. High school students who never took a leadership mm-hmm. class were on par in terms of their understanding of how the schools run and how to communicate and connect in ways that I, I was really impressed. And so I realized, you know, that's a, a big, I realized that, you know, how you learn is as important as what you learn, at least in this area. So that might be one area that touring my friend's school and seeing that students would never learn leadership formally, but had, had learned through this technique, through these techniques, that they were that they developed skills that were very strong. That you know maybe that was that would be a good moment. Now you got your MBA after you'd already been deep into a career in let's call it rocket science, and started a company. So you had lots of experience in the world of uh, academia. You already had a PhD. You had experience in the world of business and entrepreneurialism. What was it like to go to Columbia University and get an MBA? Did you feel like it was helpful training or was it really just too much stuck in academia? It was very helpful, but not because it was experiential. It was very helpful for me because it, it, it showed me that, that you could learn these things. And if you have no exposure to leadership at all, of emotional training at all, anything is very useful. So yeah, that was great. and. But I'll tell you that when I was speaking to a, um, a PhD candidate in science a little while ago at Columbia, because I get invited, you know, as, as, as a graduate, they, you know, they have these events for aspiring or, you know, soon to graduate students to meet alumni. And there's always a crowd around me because I really like what I do and I do stuff that's different. And a lot of people there are just doing like academic stuff that's, you know, great for some people, but usually the, the students who come to these, they're coming because they want something different. And I provide that. So I'm talking to a student and I was about to say that I, you know, you create courses that you wish you could have taken yourself. And if I had, if these courses that I teach were available and I knew what they were, what was in them, I would not have gone to business school. I, you know, business school is great if you want to go, if you want to be a consultant or financier or work at a big multinational mega corporation and you want the connections and things like that. Yes, it's great because it gets you these great connections. It gets you in through, the, in through the regular channels. Although these regular channels, you're filling positions that the reason why they hire so many people is that the turnover is so high. And anyway, that's <laughs> another story. So I was, as I'm talking to the person, as, as I'm saying the sentence, if these courses were available before business school, I would have not gone to business school. But actually, I was even thinking, it's possible that if I knew what, these, what was available in these courses, I might not have gone to college. I might have taken these instead. They, they, I've read more Plato and Aristotle as a result of my curiosity into, you know, what the, you know, rhetoric is a book that's a lot of overlap with leadership and I wanted to understand these guys. And so I was motivated more to read it now because of my actual practice than when I was reading it in college, which is because I was assigned and I had to write a paper about it, which was intellectually challenging, but emotionally and socially not very active. Now, many of the exercises in your book, Leadership Step-by-Step, are writing exercises. So 
it seems a little bit surprising. I'm, I pick up a book on leadership, and you've got me doing writing. Why, why the focus on writing? Well, that's mainly in the first unit. So there's four units, understanding yourself, leading yourself, understanding others, and leading others. So when you get into units four, like unit four is, is all interacting with other people. And those are much more social, much more active. But they're also, if you started with them, they can be really scary because a lot of people, they're not ready for that yet. And so I've, one of the main things that I did was to make the early exercises ones that anyone could do. So there's writing exercises that are not socially challenging. They're emotionally challenging. It's to like, to write down your inner monologue, to write down the voice going on inside your head. Most people, it's there. People know that the thoughts are going on inside their head, but to actually write it is pretty hard. But I'm not yet going to say to someone, and you have to express it to others so that people, you open yourself up for judgment. Because that's a, that's a challenge. So I want to start simple that anyone can do. You're not going to, you know, you're going to write this stuff down. You're going to see it, but others aren't going to see it. Now, there's a separate component for each exercise. I, I recommend to people to write down their reflection, which they're free to share with others or not. But that process of writing your reflection, studies over and over show in education that you, you, learn, you learn a lot by doing. And then when you write something down, when you reflect on it, that causes you to retain and generalize what you've learned. So there's always a component of, I suggest to people, write down your reflections. That's just pedagogically very effective. What's a, an example uh, in, the, in the later part of the book of, a, of an exercise that's, I guess, particularly challenging or that makes people, might, might, might make people uncomfortable? Actually, you know, so I mentioned writing down your inner monologue is one of the first exercises in the book. And it's challenging when you first do it. After a while, you, you kind of get the hang of it. And you develop the skill of picking it up. All right, there's a bunch of exercises that build on that. But about a third of the way through, you get this exercise called authentic voice. So authenticity is incredibly important in a leader. Inauthenticity is incredibly ineffective. If, you, if you're a non-authentic leader, it's, people are skeptical of people like that. So I have an exercise called your authentic voice. And the authentic voice exercise is to speak that inner monologue. So writing it is a challenge, but after you've written it and you've done a few of the other exercises in between, it's not that challenging to speak your inner monologue. That is to speak that voice inside your head without a filter. And that's, that's pretty challenging, even for people who've gone through these exercises up until then. But the effect is really powerful because everyone comes back. When I teach it in, in person, the students come back and they're like, I had no idea that I could speak the things that I said. And one of the things that they're always surprised with is that when you speak authentically to someone, they respond to you more authentically. And so people, I've had clients who do this exercise with their husbands and wives and they come back and like, we talked about stuff we never talked about before. And we spoke in, in ways that were more comfortable than we had before, but it's really challenging for a lot of people. It's like, oh my God, you know, I'm going to tell my friend that I hate my friend or something like that. I can think of two concerns people may have about authentic voice. You said speaking in terms of what I'm thinking without filtering it. And it seems like we've all heard people say some things that maybe they should have filtered. In other words, they're, they're just talking rather than thinking about what's helpful or even relevant to others. So I guess the first concern is how do you balance the tension between healthy filtering and fearfully censoring yourself? That fear, I've never had someone come back and say, I said something totally wrong and I hurt someone or something like that. That fear is really, um, it's inhibition that you're scared of stuff that doesn't happen. 
And the only way to experience it is by doing it. And I tell people, start if you're, if you're really nervous, start in a room by yourself, just talk to the wall and practice it. And then when you get stronger at that, then maybe do it in front of a mirror or into a camera and practice it. And as you develop it, you improve and you develop these skills and you realize that you're not going to accidentally say these things that you're afraid of accidentally saying. And another thing I point out is that if you look at the, if you look at people who, uh, some great, great leaders are people that they speak very authentically to speak that inner monologue is, it conveys confidence and status that if you watch a very high status person, like on a talk show, they speak Random stuff, and not random, but like the stuff that's on their mind. I, I, one of the things that made, made me recognize the value of this exercise was one time I was watching, uh, and now I don't remember. It was like Brad Pitt or someone like that was on Letterman or one of these shows. And the guy's just talking about, you know, he's just saying like one day I went out and it started raining. I went back to get my umbrella. And the audience was like wrapped with attention. And I'm like, he's just talking about his regular stuff. But that's the thing. If you're someone that is not a leader, if you're someone who does not have confidence, people without much social status speak very quickly because they expect that you're not going to pay attention to them because they don't think that what they say is very important. So they try to say it really quick before you can stop paying attention to them. Whereas people who are very important, they take for granted. They know that what they're saying is valuable to other people. So they say what's on their mind. And they speak about you know going back and getting the umbrella. A little while after that, I was, I was on the subway and I saw someone reading us weekly or people magazine. I don't read these magazines, but I was, I look over and it was like a double page spread. And the, the top in big letters says, they're just like us. <laughs> and it shows all these celebrities and they're like walking down the street, buying something at a store. And that's the thing is if you know, one of the big principles of learning leadership is if you behave like a leader, people will respond to you as a leader. And if you can't speak honestly about what's on your mind, if you are not authentic and genuine, people see that you're holding back on something. We want leaders who guide us in the most challenging times. We don't need leadership so much when things are great. When we want leaders is when, you know, when times get tough and you're going to lose your cool, you want someone there who's not going to lose their cool. If we suspect that that person who we want to rely on in the most difficult times has a hidden agenda, and if you're authentic, if you're inauthentic, if you're not authentic, there's something hidden inside you and people sense that. So if there's something that you're hiding, then they're going to be afraid that at the time that they need you most, that's when you're going to be unpredictable. If you're authentic and you, and you share these, these things, then people know when the times get tough, I know where this person is going to stand. And if you, the more that you hide, the less you are that. And the more that, the, the more that you are inauthentic and not genuine, the more people are going to be skeptical of you and the, less, the harder time they're going to have following you. Okay, so I'm still still stuck on. I guess I, I've I've been present when people have either spoken way too much about things that I don't care about that are not relevant, or things come out of their mouth in the heat of a moment that were not helpful to the given situation. And so maybe it's not so much censoring themselves, but just taking a, a couple seconds before opening your mouth and letting whatever comes out to make sure that it's the sort of rational part of your brain that is guiding you as opposed to the, you know, like the amygdala, amygdala speaking and yet not, not censoring yourself, making sure that you, you are 
speaking from your authentic voice. What I hear you saying is that people do it unskilled. And I don't recommend going into a difficult, challenging situation and practicing for the first time. Mm. The whole, one of the main principles of the book is that the more that you practice, the more you develop these skills. So uh, in any practice, you, know, you practice easy and you develop your skills so that when it becomes hard, that's when you shine. So you know, think of an athlete or an actor or a singer. You, know, you don't start at Carnegie Hall. You start playing scales. And you play the scales and play the scales and play the scales until you're so good at the scales that you move on to music, you know, playing a score. And then when you move on, when you're so good at playing the music, then you start exploring and understanding what the composer was about and expressing yourself through the music. And eventually you get up to the stage where you do the really challenging stuff. So I don't say go jump into a challenging situation and for the first time ever <laughs> practice in a stressful, difficult situation with people that don't, that aren't supportive and are difficult. Start with people who are supportive. Start with people that understand you and that aren't going to judge you and then work up to those other things. But you'll, yeah, I, I don't recommend starting in stressful situations like that. You work up to that. But if you practice a lot, just like, you know, if you first start playing, when you first start playing piano, if, to use the analogy of learning piano, at first you don't really want people to see you play because you're going to make all these mistakes and you don't know what you're doing yet. But when your skill gets very strong, then you want to go in the most challenging situations. I mean, I think of my, myself when I played sports when I was younger. When I first started playing, I did not want to get the pass. I didn't want to get, I, didn't, I, I played badly on purpose because I didn't want people to see me depending on me and me making a mistake. When I got to be very good and the captain of the team and playing in, in the, you know, the really important games, I wanted more fans because I wanted more people to see because my skills were great. And that took years and years and years of practice. So that's the transition I want people to go through. And that does not happen if you read books on psychology and watch TED Talks, but don't actually practice. You know about stuff, but you don't actually, you actually haven't practiced it. So you have to practice. And that's, you know, big principle of the book. That makes a lot of sense. So the analogy with athletes and sports is definitely helpful, practicing their skill. Oh, yeah. And if you don't mind my adding to that, you know, if you watch a great, great athlete, like I think of Michael Jordan doing some breakaway play and he does some crazy stuff that you can't imagine anyone could have done. Like he never practiced that, the, like the exact crazy move where he goes over four guys and, you know, he practiced <laughs> the basics. But he practiced them so much and so well that when it came time to doing some razzle-dazzle crazy thing, he was able to do that. But that, the stuff that happens on the court in the, in the moment is still a one-time thing that only happened in that particular moment. He never practiced exactly that. It's still practicing the basics. And the same with like, you know, a quarterback isn't great for running the plays perfectly. What makes a great quarterback great is when the play falls apart. And you're able to improvise and make something happen. But again, the way to be able to, the way to be great when things fall apart is to be great when through practice and rehearsal of the basics and the fundamentals. Yeah, oh, that's a great line. Practice, not just learning facts, not just learning information. That's like, that'll open the door, but then you got to practice. And that's why, that's what compelled me to write this book was that I did not find a book or resource out there. And all these TED Talks, it's like people watch them and they feel inspired, but they don't actually act on what they learn. It's very rare that I find someone who's done more than just read a book following up on watching a TED Talk. Tell us the story of Muhammad Ali developing his authentic voice. Yeah, so that's a major inspiration for me. And 
So for the authentic voice exercise, I give people examples of people who are masters at authentic voice, at, at speaking with their authentic voice. And Muhammad Ali is perhaps the great, is the greatest, right? He's the greatest. <laughs> he is the greatest, right? I mean, that's his name. Uh, so, and I usually introduce it as uh, Martin Luther King. He spoke out against the Vietnam War in one of his great speeches in one of his, uh, it was at, at Riverside Church in Upper Manhattan. And he had been against the Vietnam War for some time, but had not spoken against it because he had a, a, a working, a comfortable, productive relationship with the Johnson administration. The Johnson administration was obviously very tight with what was, they were escalating what was going on in Vietnam. So he didn't want to jeopardize that relationship. So he wanted to speak about it, but he didn't want to speak about it. So why did he? He did because many reasons, but one of them was that Muhammad Ali, several months before, had come out against the Vietnam War. And all right, I'm going to quote him, so I'm going to say a word that you're not really supposed to say, but he said, no Viet Cong ever called me a nigger. And Martin Luther King's speech was incredibly, you know, Martin Luther King, he's one of the great orators of all time. So he was, it was eloquent, it was well-researched, it was well-spoken. But to me, it didn't have the gut, visceral meaning and, and, and uh, uh, authenticity and genuineness that what Muhammad Ali said did. And Muhammad Ali, he spoke from the gut. He spoke, that was not a well-researched comment. It was something, but it was very meaningful. And that was not something, most people that wouldn't get past their filter. Mm -hmm. It did get past his, and he became an influencer of one of the great leaders of all time, of someone who by that point already had a Nobel Peace Prize. And he was able to influence somebody else. And I think that if you lead Martin Luther King, I think it's fair to call you a leader. And he did that. Now he backed it up also with, then he was um, the Department of Justice, I think. Is, you know, he got prosecuted. Ultimately, the Supreme Court in a, in, a, um, in a unanimous decision voted in or judged in Muhammad Ali's favor. But he went for several years with, they took away his license to box in the prime of his career and they took away his passport so he couldn't leave the country to box. So he lost a lot of money and he couldn't fight at the prime of his career. So he backed it up with his behavior. But that speech, for him to say such a simple thing, but so powerful, that's, that to me is the height of, of authentic communication. And look, we think of him today as a very important person, but he's a boxer. He's not necessarily the type of person that you would say, what's his opinion about politics or about war? He's not, he wasn't a statesman, not yet anyway. And but that genuine authentic for him to say what a lot of people felt that was leadership yeah he you knew where he you knew exactly where he was he wasn't he didn't have a hidden agenda and speaking freely allowed other people to trust him more and basically empowered other people to respond openly themselves including Martin Luther King yeah and that wasn't the first time you know he this is after years and years and years of practicing practicing his his of his practicing his authentic voice with, you know, trash talking the other boxers and float like a butterfly, sting like a bee and stuff like that. So it didn't come out of the blue. He had, I don't think there's any way he could have said that had he not said all the things he'd been saying before then. And when you look at stuff that he said when he won the gold medal in the Olympics, it wasn't anywhere close to this. So it's not like he was talking that way his whole life. You can see a pattern of him developing the skills. So he didn't just come out of nowhere. Is this idea of authentic voice 
primarily about speaking off the cuff or in prepared communications or both? You know, it's, it's, we have, we all are, you, you can hear me doing it right now. I'm pausing and I'm stuttering. I'm not sure exactly how to say what I want to say. And we all have, you know, in my case, it's like, what do I want to say in what order? But oftentimes, what can we say stuff? Like I had to preface before saying the N word. See, see, I'm right. filtering it right now. I don't know what I can and can't say. And it doesn't, when I do that, it's not, it doesn't, it's usually not as engaging and it doesn't come off as authentic as when you speak without, without that filter. That filter makes people think, what's he, what's he, you know, why is he afraid of saying what he's saying, what he's afraid of saying? And that's not, that's not what we look for in leaders. We look, when you do practice this exercise, what a lot of people find is that you, you, you jump from topic to topic in the way that our thoughts jump from topic to topic. And when you hear it, when you hear someone else doing it, you're like, oh, that's interesting. I think like that. He's speaking it that way. That's, he's speaking the way that I think, but I can't speak that way. He's more open than I am. He's more skilled than I am in something that I would like to be able to, I wish I could do that. And so you listen and you, you look for the jump and you try to make the connections and figure out what the connection was that the person made. And you're, you're, you learn more about the person and you learn really what you learn is that they're just like you, just more practice, more rehearsed and more skilled. So break this exercise down for us a little more, the authentic voice exercise. Tell, tell me again, how, what are the steps? Well, it, I can't separate it out from the exercises before it, which are to write your, your inner monologue and then build on that. Some of the other ones after that are not just writing your inner monologue, but writing down your beliefs and writing down other people's beliefs. And so there's a lot of things that get you more in touch with this voice that's inside your head. So most people, like the example I like to give is, it's, okay, we all know that inside our head, there's something that is speaking in your native language that's like, that's your voice. There's other parts inside your head, which are your emotions, which that's not really so much verbal. There's other parts of your mind, but one part is like, you're thinking your thoughts. And so um, one, one example I like to give is when you're waiting for your bag, your, your suitcase to come out at the airport, you probably have thought something like this. I'm in a hurry. Where's my bag? Why does it always take so long for my bag to come out? Oh man, why does that other person's bag? They got on the flight after me. Why should their come, bag come out before me? Why is it whenever I'm in a hurry, it comes out really, oh, here's my bag. There, oh, darn. That bag has two pockets in the outside. My pocket has one. I thought that was mine. I thought, oh, darn. That other, you know, stuff like that, right? Does that sound mm -hmm. familiar? Yes. <laughs> and you kind of chuckled because you're like, yeah, that's how I think. So that would be, that might be something that you write down in the inner monologue exercise at the very beginning. So for you to say that, it's a little challenging for you. Probably for you to say exactly what I said might be a little hard. Is that right? Right. So. It's to say stuff like that. You know, another thing might be if you're, uh, if you're in, I, I live in New York City, so I might be with friends and we might be taking the train and I might say something like, if I take the express train, I'll get there earlier, but the local train just came in. Hmm, is the local going to go get me there faster? But what, I hate to be on the local and the express passes me, but the express isn't here yet. I should really get on this train. And like that kind of thought, like that's how you think. I don't, I, I, I've never been anybody else, but that's how I think. So I don't really... I think that's how other people think. And it's to say stuff like that. And you, you verbally just say it. And uh, you find out that it's not that crazy. It's not that hard to do. Well, it's hard to start. But after you've done it a few times, it's not that hard. 
but it's basically just that. It's just say the words that are going through your head as they come into your head without thinking about them. As you do it more and more, you'll start to pick up that you do start, you are able to think and say at the same time. Yeah. So if you have, if, if a person hasn't yet done the earlier exercise about the inner monologue and, and write, writing that exercise out, you could, you could at least start by just picking an object like the suitcase and commenting how it connects to your life or something in it and paying attention to what your inner monologue would be and then voicing it as it flows. Yeah. And you don't have to do it with other people to, to hear you. So you can do it in a room by yourself and there's, you know, it's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. There's, there's absolutely zero risk in, in sitting in a room by yourself and just talking about, you know, the, the, the rug or something like that. And then after you do it a few times, you may find that you're able to do it more. To me, a lot of times when I'm in a social situation or a networking situation, I'll just start talking about something and people get really engaged and people are like, wow, that's, I've never thought about that that way. And then they start talking to me that way. Yeah, that's interesting. So you could, you could pick just if you, I mean, obviously it'd be better to do the earlier exercise first, but you could just pick something, some topic that is uh, interesting to you, or you know that tomorrow I'm going to walk into a meeting and the topic's going to be that, and then just sort of practice doing an inner monologue about that. Yeah. If, if you, a lot of people listen to podcasts when they're driving. And so if you're driving by yourself right now, a really common way to do it that a lot of people do is, is like the thoughts when you're driving, it's like, Stuff like, oh, is that car going to merge into my lane? Oh, I better slow down a little bit. Okay, I'm slowing down. I'll shift lanes to give them a little more space. All right, I'm going to speed up a little bit and pass them on the left. Hmm, I'm a little bit late, but I, you know, I'll keep driving the same speeds just to not go too fast. And I don't know, is that how people? I think that's how people think to themselves. And you can just talk that way. What are some tips that you have in there? There's a few that you brought out in the in the exercise that I thought I thought were pretty helpful. Well, I mean, there's a couple that are, one of them is, is to watch videos of other people. So if you go on online and watch Muhammad Ali, there's plenty of him of like the genius of him. He's like a poet. And, uh, another example, another great example is, uh, Robin Williams. He's tremendous at this stuff. And there's a great one of Patton Oswalt from, I think the show is Parks and Recreation, where he has to just go off and he, he does this whole Star Wars thing that's totally extemporaneous. and I should mention that I, I show these videos in class when I teach this course in person. And I say to the students, could you do like what they're doing? And they say no. And then I give them the exercise and they practice for a week. And I come back and I say, okay, look at these again. Can you do this? And they say, it's a very different answer. They say, it would take a lot of practice, but I think I could do it. And it becomes a, something that is qualitatively different from what their skills are now to quantitatively different. And it mo- motivates them to want to do it. I'm reminded of my two younger kids who uh, they're both early in high school and they are taking a weekly class on improv. So and so they're they're get they're going through these fun exercises with a an acting uh, director teacher who's just teaching them different types of improv. And so they started doing it just to be fun and also because they are they do they're in theater and they thought it would be helpful. But it's surprising how it's helped their overall confidence in life. They, as they go through different situations, they are much more confident in themselves and who they are and just comfortable in their own skin. Yeah, my exercises are all designed to be done. They don't require any extra resources, so you don't have to schedule taking classes. You don't have to pay for them and stuff like that. And all of them lead to other things. So the, the 
inner voice one, that naturally leads to, if people want to follow up and take some med- meditation stuff or yoga, it naturally follows on. I, I'm trying to give you the maximum bang for the buck as someone who's a leader. You don't necessarily want to go off and go on a meditation or yoga retreat. And same with the speaking authentically is very closely related to improv. And a lot of the later stuff about leading others is very closely related to acting. So if you want to add on to these exercises and do more, a natural extension would be improv. And in New York City, improv courses, you know, there's a few people who want to do it because they want to get onto Saturday Night Live, but there's plenty of people who are business people, and entrepreneurs, and they want to be able to speak more authentically. And there are a lot of exercises that they do there that are a lot like this. And it gets you over this fear of being authentic and, and speaking naturally. And, and yeah, so I try to give you something that's free and quick and easy. You don't have to get anyone else, but to, to, you don't need other people to, to do them. And you get a lot of value, but they're not the end by any means. So you can keep doing more. And yeah, I've taken improv and acting and all these classes, and I found them tremendously useful. So it helps to practice it even just alone, uh, talking to a mirror or something like that, and uh, and then go practice it on people that you're comfortable with, that you don't have fear to be speaking with. One of your tips is is to speak. Try it speaking slower than usual. Why is that helpful? Well, it's it lets you. I mean, anything that you do for the first time, if you're going to learn how to dance, you know, you do it slow before you go go to the really quick steps. If you want to learn. It's just, it gives you a chance to practice and, and pay more attention to the details. And it takes time to work up to doing it more, fa- to do it faster. So it's just a pedagogically, it gives you easier access. You know, the first time, if you're going to play a difficult musical piece, you first go through it slowly and develop, oh, this is where my finger goes on the keyboard, or this is how my finger goes on the fretboard, or normally I would strum it this way, but I see I have to do it that way. What about the worries that you might say something overly personal or embarrassing? A lot of us don't do things that we could do because we, of fear. We're scared of going in front of an audience. We're scared of making a decision that other people depend on us and maybe people will be disappointed in us and things like that. And you know, most people in life choose not to take on these risks because of that fear. And you know, maybe they just want to live a life of, following others without taking on big challenges, that's fine if that's what they want. But presumably, if you're listening to this podcast, you don't want to be governed by that fear and you want to overcome it and you want to take on these challenges. And so, yeah, you if you have a fear that that's going to happen, then you're either you live by that fear and don't take on that challenge or you take on the challenge and overcome it. It's I can't take away that it is going to be challenging. What I can do is give you lots of little steps so that each little step is not that big of a challenge. So if you're listening to this right now, you can pause. If you're in the car by yourself or you're listening to this somewhere, just go to your room by yourself and just try to speak authentically or get out a piece of paper and a pencil and just write down your thoughts. And the first time it won't go that well. The second time, maybe a little better. And sometime after that, it'll start to feel natural. And sometime after that, you'll feel like, I can't believe I was so governed by fear that I didn't do this before. And sometime after that, you'll realize the people in your life are the people who are comfortable speaking that way. And the people who are not comfortable speaking that way, maybe if they ask you for help, you'll help them. But you generally have time. I don't, I have less time for people who are inauthentic and, and, and have hidden agendas. And I, if, if they ask me for it, I'll help them out of that trap. 
but basically I'm spending time with people who get things done, who are authentic, who are not, who don't have hidden agendas. And I like that more. I was like that myself for a long time. I couldn't speak authentically. I couldn't, I, you know, I was always, I had to wait to find out what the other person was about before I would share what I was about and things like that. That's following. That's not leading. Yeah, that's, in, that's really interesting. Josh, what you just said reminds me of a quote in the book uh, about fear and what it means to be a leader. Can you share that with us? Yeah, and it, it works out because uh, people don't know this, but I have the book out because of the conversation uh, Jesse and I were having before. And so the quote is, it's a little bit long, but this is a quote from a reflection that one of my students wrote. She was an undergrad. And this was about her experience doing the, inner, the, the authentic voice exercise. She says, spring break was a great opportunity to immerse my authentic voice around others and practice my inner monologue. My friends and I went on a road trip to Charleston. It's also imperative to know that I was the only girl on the entire trip. I was definitely self-conscious and embarrassed to just talk, talk out loud my thoughts to college boys who love to poke fun at me already. <laughs> the first time I tried it was 2 a.m. on the way to Charleston when it was my shift to drive. I thought it was a perfect time to introduce, test, and practice my authentic voice. Also, especially when the guys I were with were half asleep. It was funny because I was whispering my inner monologue, partly because I didn't want to wake them up, but also because I had a large fear that they would judge what I had to say. But honestly, my thoughts were mostly based on the road. And it, quote, I need to merge now. Great, this car just cut me off, et cetera, stuff like that. Later throughout the trip, we went to the beach a couple of times. And as we were walking around and exploring, that's when I was most genuine and real with my friends. I've known these guys since sixth grade, and I already have had deep moments with them. But what was different was I got to speak out my exact thoughts at the exact moment, not past thoughts and opinions. This was when I was most vulnerable with my friends, and it would actually cause them to reveal some things that were on their minds too. It was a raw moment for us as friends, as well as a self-actualization of my own authentic voice. It's intriguing to me how developing an authentic voice is what separates leaders from followers. By being proud of who you are and voicing your own opinion, that's what distinguishes the strength of a leader and being confident in the decisions you make. I didn't realize how something so small, like revealing how your mind operates, can truly change how people perceive you and interact with you. So that was, you know, she wrote that for herself, mm -hmm. not for others. And I, you know, I asked her permission if I could quote her. And yeah, that was, that's like a typical response of people after doing this exercise. It doesn't start that way. It ends that way after practicing. That's a great story. And yeah, the, so starting with the practicing allowed her to speak freely, be her authentic, inner authentic voice later on. And it's interesting how some of the times it's the things that we're afraid to say, maybe because they're uncomfortable, uh, end up leading to the richest moments. I, I remember I was at a wedding once and saw a cousin that I hadn't seen in many years. And I knew that she had just very recently, her marriage had broken up. And uh, it seemed like, you know, we, we were almost, we weren't, it's, so much time had passed since I'd seen her last that it was probably a little bit awkward to ask her about that breakup. But since it was on my mind, I went ahead and asked the question, so how are you feeling about the breakup? And it, it, she, it was a very good conversation. She obviously appreciated me asking uh, a, a thoughtful question, and we had a great conversation. And it wouldn't have happened if I had censored myself and not asked that question that was clearly there in my mind. It reminds me of uh, an episode of Faulty Towers. You know, did, I don't know if you ever watched a show with John Cleese. Yes, just once or twice. Time. Yeah, and I, I love the show. And so one time there, were, he the show has him running a hotel, and he always wants to be good for the guests. And they had some Germans staying at the hotel, 
And he was like telling the staff, like, don't talk about the war. Don't talk about the war. <laughs> so the Germans walk in and he's like, so what about the war? <laughs> and that's the thing. It's on your mind. If you don't say it, either you're working really hard to suppress it and deny it, which is the opposite of self-awareness. I've never heard a leader say, lower your self-awareness. That's the key to leadership, <laughs> low self-awareness or, the, or you know, to a key to life. Oh, there's another episode of um, Mad About You with uh, Paul Reiser, I think. And there was an episode, they would always have celebrities on it, and Yoko Ono was on. And he was like <laughs> saying, like, don't talk about the Beatles. Don't talk about the Beatles. <laughs> and she shows up and he's like, so you broke up the Beatles. <laughs> so this is what happens. You, you try to suppress the stuff. It's not so, hmm. I mean, what, what's funny is like that, why we laugh is like, you could see that happening. And so being more open allows you to say stuff in a way that's more, you know, it, it, it's not so repressive and denial and suppressing. That's, that doesn't help. If it's there, finding a way to say it, which is what happens when you practice, is a way of being more open. And, you know, I had, I, last semester in my leadership class, I asked, it, right after the election, I asked people, who, who did you vote for? And they, it turns out that everybody, this is, you know, it's lower Manhattan, so like everybody voted for Hillary Clinton. And I said, all right, okay, forget about what the candidates said. Forget about the candidate, about the content of what they said. Forget about your who you voted for and your and your opinions of the people. Who was more authentic? Hmm. Who's when you just the way they spoke? Who's more authentic? And they all said Trump was more authentic. Mm-hmm. And that inauthenticity was not helpful for for Clinton, in, you know, from even among her own supporters. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, the book, again, is Leadership Step-by-Step, Become the Person Others Follow. And we've been talking with Dr. Joshua Spodek. Josh, where can people find out more about you and about your work? There's my regular blog, which is joshuaspodek.com. And that's my views on leadership. That's me speaking personally. Spodekacademy.com is where you can find out about my courses. And I'll make a page, spodekacademy.com slash Leahy, so that they can continue this conversation. And... Uh, actually that'll give them a, I'll put there a link to the meaningful connection exercise, which follows on the authentic voice exercise, which is a way of connecting with others authentically and meaningfully, as opposed to, you know, so where are you from? How, you know, how many brothers and sisters do you have and having that same old in Hmm. not very meaningful connection. So that's a great way to, that's another exercise from the book that now they'll have three. They have the inner monologue that they can practice on their own. They have authentic voice that they can practice on their own. And this one will give another. And it, that one I also put videos of me practicing that exercise with my mentor, Marshall Goldsmith. So if they go to that page, hmm. so spodekacademy.com slash L-A-H-E-Y, that'll get them access to another exercise too. Oh, and then if you go on Amazon, you can buy the book or Barnes & Noble and all the usual places. And the book is Leadership Step-by-Step. Tell us a little more about Spodek Academy. What's that about? I realized that it's valuable to learn leadership. Leadership is not just about being a guy in a corner office telling people what to do. In fact, that's a small part of, I don't even, that's not even necessarily leadership. It's all relationships have some leadership component in them. And a lot of it is about how to live life more uh, true to your values and to understand your values and to be able to influence people and persuade them and to be open to influence yourself and to be a, v- a valuable member of a team. What drove me to start my practice on my own is that all the classes that I took, they were very strong in facts and knowledge and intellectual challenge. You know, that came from reading psychology papers and uh, lecture and case studies and debating what other people should do. But they were not 
experiential and active. They weren't socially and emotionally challenging. And, you know, it helps for a leader to be intellectually smart, but it's really important to be emotionally aware and emotionally skilled and socially aware and socially skilled. And those challenges, those skills come from facing and overcoming social and emotional challenges. So the courses are available on the site and the book emerged from the courses. So the, the online versions of the courses are all the same exercises that I teach when I teach at NYU, but they're available to anyone. And so it's the exact same software, the exact same courses, the exact same exercises. It's a little bit more than the book has because when you write your reflections online and you post them, then you have access to everybody else's reflections. So you can learn, you, you know, everybody does every exercise slightly differently. You can learn from each other. And people say that when you know that other people are going to read your reflections, it's all anonymous, but people still are going to read it. Then it makes you reflect more thoughtfully and you write more thoughtfully. And so that social component with a bit of accountability, despite the anonymity, people tend to, you know, if you, if you're really diligent and really disciplined, the book gives you everything. If you're not so diligent and disciplined, the course helps by giving you more structure and community. And it has video, uh, some videos and it has some audio of me describing each exercise to someone and then me reflecting with him. So there's a bit more that you get on the online version. So if you go to Spodek Academy and take the courses there, it's a bit more of a rich, full experience than reading the, reading the book and doing the exercises from the book. That sounds really cool. Well, we'll provide links to, that you just mentioned uh, in our show notes for this episode, as well as to your, your Twitter account and your LinkedIn account. Joshua Spodek, thank you for joining us on Engaging Leader. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for having this podcast. I, I really enjoyed being here and, and the questions and getting to talk about what I've talked about. So I hope it's valuable for your listeners as well. I think so. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. Again, the book is Leadership Step-by-Step, and we'll provide the information and links that Josh mentioned on our show notes for this episode, which you can find on our website at engagingleader.com forward slash 153 as in episode 153. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm that specializes in workforce communications. My colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. In several areas, including talent management, workforce health engagement, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Monica Harrison, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cecily Leahy, our web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers. 